Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Josh Brown, this might be the last week I see your lovely essential face for a good few weeks. It is going to be a shame, Scott. It Unfortunately, is. I have bad news to start this podcast. Well, it's good news. It's not I, that like bad. To, I like to view it as good news. Yes. It's, uh, nothing too horrific, but I'm going to take a few weeks off, a yes. month or so off. Because, unfortunately, my mental health has been in the toilet for years now, and I've been putting it off getting any help or any treatment or whatever. I've been mentally unwell throughout this year. Mm -hmm. But the positive is that I'm able to take a few weeks off, a month and a bit off, and hopefully get some treatment and stuff. But that does mean... I won't be on these podcasts for the next few weeks, which you? is a shame because this is the best part of my week. And I even put off <laughs> taking this time off because I wanted to talk to you about Starfield that bad right. that I was like, I need to work this week because <laughs> I want to talk about Starfield. I know I speak for myself and anyone listening to you that says you take as much time as you need. You genuinely do. I love you and I want you to take as much time as you need. You come back whenever you're ready. And um, we will make things work. I love you too. I'm going to miss you, brother. I'm going to miss you. But still, this is the wind-up. We're pre-recording pre this on the Friday. Uh, it's going to go up on the Monday. And then for the future weeks, um, there'll be some guest spots. I'm going to get I'm gonna get Ewan in here. Michael Hamflip might make an appearance. I haven't decided yet. Now the world's my oyster. Now I'm jealous. Now <laughs> I'm jealous. Come on. I only need to try. You don't need to try and fill. You know in Max Payne, where you need to take the painkillers, and he has the outline of a of a body. Yes. And you take the painkillers to make them fill back up again. <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying to fill that space. <laughs> and I can't, I'm not going to fully get there, uh, but we'll get there. Josh Brown. Silhouette, <laughs> like the worst hair you've ever seen, and then just like lanky, glorious frame. locks. <laughs> Nothing will fit that space, but I'll do what I can. A massive thank you to everybody for listening anyway. But yes, this is the wind up. We always tackle the latest video games, the latest talking points, whatever. However, every now and then we do a full on versus thing, which is what inspired the um, the wind up idea in the first place because we do wind each other up um, with really fun opinions and takes, etc. I made that sound more casual than it's going to be because we're doing the most disappointing games, or I would say the worst games, that we've done. although it is <laughs> definitely. No, no, don't say that because now when you reveal what yours are, which yeah. I don't know, by the way, no. I'm going to have the thought in my mind that not only were you disappointed by them, but yeah. you think they're the worst. No, they definitely aren't. We were, the reason I said that is because initially we were just going to do the 10 worst video games because we did do in two parts the 10 best video games ever yeah. um, from our perspective, which please go listen to that. It had a very, very good reception, lots of people listening. And we thought, why not do the worst? But it's very hard to think of that, um, especially because you want to uh, bring in some sort of measure of like brokenness and more objective measures, whatever it is. So we're just going to do the most disappointing. This will be a one-parter and we'll do a two-part worst thing later. That's it, right? Because yes. I, I agree with you I was kind of struggling to think of the, the worst list and I thought if we're going to do it I want to do it where I'm here so we can do mm. it as a big two-part thing and I want to be able to think about it whereas when you 
mentioned like most disappointing games, about 20 jumped to mind. <laughs> and I thought, okay, that's going to be easy to talk about. And we're probably going to reel off five each and have 15 we didn't mention because yes. there have been a lot in my life. It's very rare that I think something is outright trash, but there have been a lot of times I've come into this office and gone, Scott, it's not as good as I wanted it to be. No, and we're steering clear of the likes of Saints Row. We're going for the jugular right now. Things that you had sky high expectations for that let you down, which is to say I'm going to open the opening salvo, The Last of Us 2. The what? <laughs> My brain didn't even comprehend it. I like the the words entered the brain and then it took like literal seconds for them to go around the cogs in my like, brain no, that, I, you are living this timeline I think I'm so pleased I'm going to be off for a yeah, yeah, yeah. This, I need to give you a reason to leave I've got to do something I'm, I'm only helping you but um, no The Last of Us 2 it's not that I don't think it's an incredible game I had a phenomenal time with it I drank in every single second it was just that I can never escape the fact that as soon as we hit the credits my brain my internal monologue speaking to myself just said I don't think I needed that mm. and I will never shake that I'll never shake the feeling of of, oh, that's The Last of Us 2. After how sky high and adored, uh, or adored, I, ad I was going to say adorable, but I adore the original Last of Us. The fact that that was what we got for the sequel, I can, I made my peace with it. I loved my time with it. Yep. Both things can be true, but it's not at all what I wanted from, the, from more Last of Us. I didn't even want a sequel. I'd rather you give me nothing than that. You know what, right? I obviously don't agree with the reasons that you thought it was disappointing, yes. but I can totally relate to having that unshakable gut feeling of yeah. something wasn't right there. Something about me has repelled against this thing that I've just experienced because that is like a game or a piece of art or whatever working on that kind of just instinctual level of is this thing for me or is mm. it not? Did I need that like you just described or did I not need it? Did it, it justify its own existence mm. is, my, is my overall thing and it, and it, it does and it doesn't. It, it affected the Last of Us IP so much. I always preferred Last of Us being a one-off. I never thought they would do a sequel. I remember when Nolan North leaked it. He was at like some um, like a Comic-Con type thing. He was being asked questions about upcoming projects and what else he's working on and he just leaked it. He was just like, oh well you know they're doing another Last of Us. I know I'm doing that but anyway blah 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 and we just sort of ran with that for a bit and at the time I remember thinking like no like yeah. you'll get it wrong I love I treasure ambiguity in stories that give me enough information and ammo beforehand so I can talk about it for the rest of my life I don't need you to come back in and go actually it meant that actually it's that um, actually she was in this case Ellie was really annoyed about this thing and or whatever it was um, and at the same time there was that there was that side of it where I just didn't need it I didn't need you to, uh, the franchising of us as I've said before I didn't need more of it and then also it was just what they did with it I wanted more Joel and Ellie if you're gonna force a Last of Us 2 I do want more Joel and Ellie, and you do get a lot of it. It was, I think, me and you looked at some statistic of they do have the most screen time overall. Right, okay. Um, like, you know, even though, not necessarily as Joel and Ellie, but you do get a lot more Ellie um, alongside Abby. And I love Abby as well, but it's still, it's just not what I wanted from Last of Us 2. Like you said, some things, sometimes two things can be true, right? Mm. We were talking before recording about how in years past we've included games on the 10 best games of the year, and we've included them on the 10 most disappointing games yeah. of the year because sometimes those two things can be true. You can I had to have put No Man's Sky on there. Yeah, you can have something that you really enjoy but just didn't manage to hit the expectations you had for it mm. or indeed the expectations that everyone had for it. Obviously, you know, if you do go back and listen to the... Uh, when the, the, the podcast where we discussed our favorite games of all time, The Last of Us Part Two is on there for me, <laughs> and it would not be on the most disappointed list. Uh, but I can, I respect it, and I respect your reasoning. Thank for it, you. Sir. The, it's, it's yeah, it's worth crystallizing it by just saying that I, as soon as the 
the thing is, like, obviously there was a bunch of leaks for The Last of Us 2. I've definitely talked about this on the podcast before, but a lot of the leaks that came out were that Joel kills Abby. We knew that Abby was going to be one of the main characters and that Joel kills Abby. And I remember before beforehand thinking, oh my God, that sucks that I know the big thing. And so in The Last of Us 2, and spoilers for the opening act of The Last of Us 2, when Abby kills Joel, I was ecstatic yeah. because it meant that I was wrong about the, the, the leaks were wrong. And all of a sudden there was like this incredible, momentous, propulsive feeling of I have no idea what the story is going to be. And then it just did, it just didn't give me anything after that, and so like I mean it does it gives you a lot, but not in the vein that I wanted. I just wanted Joel to be there. Right, Why I'm right. going to the Last of Us too, but the, to crystallize the disappointing feeling, it was entirely because in that moment of like as the story played out, realizing the story they were telling, realizing you know you get flashbacks with Joel, but also accepting that he had died. Um, by the time you get to the end, just going like, oh, The Last of Us is, is, di- is completely different now. It's not just that one-off thing. And it, it, it's definitely not that because we're opening it wide up. And then it's, uh, the TV show got announced and whatever else. It's just not what I want The Last of Us to be at all. Yeah, that's. I guess that's my sort of finishing question on this is, do you think there's a world where you get a sequel and you don't have these thoughts? Just because it seems like you were so... Um, all in on the idea of it being this excellent one-off, like you mentioned, that leaves the the question of its ending yep. open and interpretive and encourages discussions for years and years. Like, even if you got, for instance, like a Joel-focused game, I wonder if there would still be a part of you, no matter how good mm. it was, thinking, still thinking, I didn't need that because the no, first no. one's perfect. Oh, really? No, I would rather not have anything. Like That's uh, what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. Yeah. I would rather they didn't do anything. The only reason, it's like, it's, uh, it's just the... The relationship you enter into, kind of thing, when it when it comes to announcing, we are going to do a sequel to the unsequelable thing, and I go, okay, you're naughty dog. I trust you. I didn't think you could do it with Uncharted Four, and then Lost Legacy, and you nailed it with that. Okay, cool. I'll go with you on this. I love Neil Druckmann. I love his writing style, but I only realized over the last few years how much it was really Bruce Straley that I loved about as, as much as Neil Druckmann, and I did need him to balance him out. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things where like you enter into that agreement where like, I'll play the thing, I'm going to buy it, I'll put the money down, and then when I'm playing it, I'm like, this isn't, you didn't need to do this. You, you could have done anything. I would have taken anything else. I've never had it to this degree, mm. right, um, with video games at least, but there are certainly times where a franchise has just moved in a direction that is not for me, and I've kind mm. of like outgrown it, not in the way that I think I'm better than it, just I've changed as a person. My interests have changed, and their interests have changed. You know, it kind of happened with Assassin's Creed um, after Assassin's Creed Syndicate, when you move to the more RPG-focused games, where I was like, I respect what you're doing, I love what people, I love that people love it, but that's just not what I'm here for anyway, and kind yeah. of having that yeah. breakup with a franchise <laughs> is weird. Had it a little bit with the MCU, had it a little bit with Star Wars, you know, those big IPs where you mm. just kind of think, You've gone in a direction there, and you know I like that people love it, but uh, we are—I I wish it didn't happen. Yeah, no, <laughs> oh, totally. Cut my relationship here. Yeah, and I'm not, it's not, I'm not severing. I'm not severing with the Last of Us IP overall. It's just not at all the trajectory I thought it was going to take. When we played through it in 2013, I would never in a million years have thought you'd get a Pedro Pascal and a Bella Ramsey TV show. I never in a million years thought that they would kill Joel and then do a whole 40-hour game after that. Um, and within that is excitement and risk and and creativity. It's raw, brazen creative freedom. I love it. I love how much money they have to play with this, but I can still sit there and be like, it's not at all what I wanted you to do. I know it's not the same, um, but I always think it's funny with The Last of Us 2, especially relating to Joel, because... Since the very first trailer, I was prepared for that guy to die. Right. I remember like watching the very first trailer for the game where he's in shadow and Ellie's you know singing about mm. wanting revenge and she's got that furious look on her face. And I think I might have even said to you at the time like I wasn't the only one saying it, but I was like, he's dead. Yeah, you know, he's yeah. obviously dead. Like, and, and I, I was, was like, there's no way they do that. Right. He's way too beloved. And I was like, I almost kind of 
I worked myself into second guessing it because mm. I was thinking it's so obvious they must be like throwing us the red flag. <laughs> like it seems so blatant that of course this is going to be the catalyst that that maybe they're trying to throw us off the scent. And then obviously when it happened, I was like. I've been mentally bracing myself for this guy to not be in my life for five years at that point. I can't remember how long that game was in development after it released that first trailer, but I spent like every new trailer thinking and preparing for the fact that he was gone. And I just think that's like a weird relationship to have where something isn't confirmed, but yeah, you've, you not guessed it fully, but you're mm. bracing for that impact. And I think if I wasn't bracing it, or if I was like you and saying, no way they'll ever do mm. that, then it would have maybe shocked me in a different way than it did because it would would have been unexpected and would have mm. been a character that I loved and wasn't prepared to leave at that point. So yeah, to that, yeah. I, would, I, just, I just bring that up by saying, like, I totally get people who were like, my, you know, relationship with this franchise almost died with that character. Like, I, I, I love that character so much and the idea of the franchise without him being involved in a direct way, mm -hmm. I do kind of see that. I think as well, not to go on and on about this because we have so many more to get through, it's just as well that coming out of Last of Us 1, like I said, you had all these sort of wider philosophical points to be made about surviving in an apocalypse, the way that, the way that they portray the, um, you know, father-daughter dynamic, the idea of losing someone and moving on, all these different things. Um, and the, would, what would you have done at the end of Last of Us? One, I love the question that it posits and is the, the needs of the many, the needs of the few, etc. And in Last of Us 2, it does posit, it has thematic framings, it posits questions if you go looking for them, but I didn't feel that it had just had the same over to you style of, yeah. uh, of signing it off. And then Last of Us 2, because it is so hates bad, like it's just so straightforward. And they, But then they pick that apart and they do great things with it. Um, but it just didn't do enough for me where I was just like, I'm take, I take away your core lesson. If we could all just get along, that'd be great. Yeah. And uh, I got more, more of a lesson from Final Fantasy 16. I will direct people to the best uh, podcast that we did <laughs> to get my rebuttal to that because this is not me no, I know, arguing I know, I know. against it. This is... Uh, this is your most disappointing thing. And it I'm is. gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna respect that and just divert people. You, to as, the, uh, as well, the you one. should. You should <laughs> Max Payne slow mo out the way of that thing. Please give me What's your Max Payne references. I know today? it's got to be done. Someone's got to make a Max Payne reference. Um, Scott, my game. Actually, before I get into it, I want to throw in an honorable mention because yes. sometimes I was supposed to give you that at the start of the podcast. It's all right. Don't forgot. worry. We had more important things to talk about that I was uh, mumbling over. <laughs> um, what was I talking about? Yes, I was talking about my honorable mention. I want to throw in the Evil Within one because if you asked me last year mm. what my most disappointed games were mm -hmm. the evil within would be in there because right. i was so looking forward to that game when it launched you know a new survival horror game from the creator that gave us resident evil and resident evil 4 in this psychological world where reality seems to be shifting on a dime mm -hmm. with a cool detective protagonist and um, some of the best like monster designs i had ever seen in gaming until that point and then it came out and it was kind of a mess. It yeah. was kind of janky. The shooting didn't feel good. The letterbox framing was really claustrophobic. It looked really gray. It kind of gives me a headache to play. So when I, I loved played Evil through that game, I was I couldn't shake that disappointment, kind of like how you couldn't shake that good feeling. Mm. But I actually played it earlier this year again. I gave it that second go. Mm. And while I still think a lot of those first criticisms hold true, I could appreciate it way more. So I just kind of wanted to throw that in yeah, as, yeah. as something that's kind of shifted a disappointing game that I've been able to reassess as the years have gone by and appreciate it a little bit more because mm -hmm, it makes mm -hmm. me wonder if I'll do it for any of the following, including a little game called Destiny. Not <laughs> sure if you've ever heard this. Bungie's Destiny, man, promised a future that yeah. I was all in on at the time. Mm -hmm. It sounds 
strange to say now, considering how, you know, ubiquitous this genre is, but them taking the sort of fundamentals of an MMO, this ever-changing online world, and meshing it with the combat mechanics from Halo and a more straightforward, least satisfying action system, I was in. I, yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was the revolution that gaming needed. I thought the idea of having a great campaign and then having random events drop into the world that you can jump in with other players was, like, the best thing conceptually. And then I played the beta, or maybe it was the alpha. I can't remember which one dropped first. You mean that was still the full release game, so it's the same thing. Exactly yeah. right. And I played it, and I thought, wow, this is sparse. Wow, this story <laughs> is not doing it for me. Wow, these missions are repetitive. Mm-hmm. And the more I played of that early access, the more worried I got. And then, obviously, the game came out, and everyone said, that was pretty much the game. That was pretty much, nothing's changed. It's been too slow. And then all the reports came out about, you know, them throwing away the story just a few months before um, development, Mm -hmm. them having no idea. This is all from uh, Jason Schreier's great book, by the way, called Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, I think, that chronicles the development of it. You know, how they didn't know if they wanted to make it third person or first person. Like, what were they even making? They Mm -hmm. just kind of didn't seem to know, and you can tell that. Oh, yeah. final finished product and it was just to me it was it it hurt because I was big into Halo at the time maybe more than I ever was previously Mm. I've said to you before how I wasn't on the bandwagon for Halo 2 and Halo 3 I kind of entered Halo at the tail end of 3's life and 4 was the first one I bought at launch and was like well into Mm. so I would actually sorry Halo Reach I bought that was the first one I bought but anyway the point is between those games I was like I'm all in on this kind of combat style. I want to see what the creators of this franchise Mm. can do. And the answer was Destiny. And then they did turn it around in the end. But by that point, I wasn't there for it. Well, they just, they sequelized it. I mean, I remember when, uh, not the Witch King, uh, that Witch DLC, I I forget the full name of it. It was Witch King. Was Was it Witch King? Maybe. Witch King's from Lord of the Rings, but I forget the name of the... um, The Taken King. Taken King. Yeah. And uh, they did the Taken King DLC, and I remember that being a major turning point because you actually had some narrative, you actually had uh, levels, like, you know, like nice level designs, um, and there was a bit of a turning point. You r- reminded me so much of that that thing of like the beta, the demo, because you had to buy something else to play it. Crackdown, I think, Me- and yeah, you can it? get access to the Destiny beta. Right. And that's how they like. There was like one of the crack. There was something where you got a Destiny access there, and Crackdown One was actually Halo. Anyway, you got access to Destiny early, and oh my god, that flashback of the memory of when you were saying about like everyone realizing that the game was the beta, yeah, um, and just saying like I hope they have more, and they didn't. And then over time, yeah, reading about how it was it was on fire. Jason Schreier's reports um, about how just they would like try and up uh, try and fix the game, try and patch it in development, but they had to wait a whole day if they would click on something to like to commit to a change in the coding. They had to wait a whole day to see if it had actually taken or not and then the system would have to reboot again it was just a complete nightmare and then obviously we got the launch version of it and everything and in the end they just cut and run did Destiny 2 they did like they did the Taken King there was a couple of different DLCs that I ended up getting because I love the feel of that game Yeah. Um, but at the same time it was like them switching to Destiny 2 and then swapping out um, Peter Dinklage for Northern North and my God, 2014. What a Watch, big time. What a time. Watch Dogs and uh, Destiny, I would say the two pillars of why that generation's disappointing feeling kicked off. Well, because like, uh, just from the jump, it was like, this isn't what you thought it was. This yeah. was misadvertised. It's broken. 
and just it just went from there. Absolutely, man. You know what? I think I was even in denial for a little bit. You know, I remember, I don't know if it was IGN, but it was definitely a big outlet, a bunch of big outlets, like yeah. gave it a six out of 10. And I remember being a bit younger and thinking, this can't be. That means what, it's terrible. What, what do you mean? They've Destiny, this game that I was expecting to revolutionize console gaming <laughs> and first person shooters is a six out of 10. Uh-huh. It hurt me deeply, but then I had the, evidence to prove it and you know it's such a shame i do think it's impressive what they've done with that franchise you know i've not played destiny 2 but by all accounts like that game's a smash hit people love that the people who are in their ecosystem and um, i know it's probably had some spotty expansions but it's also had some good ones Wait, by uh, all destiny accounts. One, yeah. yeah the point is they managed to write the ship it's just i always wonder about the history or how i would be gaming now if they got it right because mm. i would have been on board for all of those expansions for Destiny 2. I'd have probably been more open to live service games in general, but they mm-hmm. kind of soured me on that as well. So it's a strange time, 2014. Destiny 1's release seems so recent, yet it was so long ago Yeah, now. And I feel like we've learned a lot of lessons since then, and developers certainly have as well. That whole thing, like showing the uh, the publishers of the world what you can get away with, mm. um, releasing a, a broken game, patching it later, all the the change of uh, how much of g- gaming as an industry changed. But what can what can we actually ship now and monetize right away, and then ship it the the, the quality components later, and the, just taking the wrong lessons from that. And then the amount of games that that influenced in terms of the mission design, go here, defend yes. this, whatever. And the but the average playtime. I remember that statistic. I think it might have been Kotaku who reported it at the time that the average player who was playing Destiny had banked 500 hours. Yeah. Because they were just if it clicked for you as a feel, you were in, even though what you were doing was not worthwhile. And like I said. It just taught all the publishers the wrong lessons. It was like, let's just put games out that are threadbare, but let you do something for 500 hours. And I feel like we're still trying to get out that sludge today. I'll tell you what as well. One, I fully agree with everything you just said. Good. But two, I also don't forgive Destiny for popularizing the idea that console menus need a cursor. Oh, God, That is like my biggest aesthetic pet peeve in anything. There's something about it that repulses me on a deep personal (laughs) level. On a moral level. On a moral level. And the fact that Destiny helped usher that in as the norm. Like, why is that in Assassin's Creed? I don't know. It doesn't need to be in Assassin's Creed. No. They've got buttons. Let me use the buttons. (laughs) That is where it started because I feel like, yeah, since then, it was like, what if we just put the PC build on the console and just map the the cursor to the stick? It's hot. Who's... Doesn't feel good. No, no one wants to pilot a cursor around with a stick. <laughs> you uh, know what's worse as well, Ten years? Man, when, um, I don't know if this was Destiny's case, but it's definitely been the case in some games since, where, like, you get, like, frame drops in mm. lag on the cursor, and it's it just feels <laughs> dreadful. It just does not board well for the optimization of the game you're about to play. I no. hate it, man. I really do. Speaking of hating things and optimization, uh, my number four, I should have said at the start of this that we're going to do five each to make the ten. My number four was Star Wars Jedi Survivor. I've whoa, ranted whoa, and ranted whoa, and ranted whoa. about this game. And I understand. Again, another thing that I'm kind of taking in because I totally get it. Yeah. Jedi Survivor's original launch was inexcusable. Uh The fact that that game was so broken, terrible. It hurts me to see it on the list of like most disappointing of all time, though. Yeah. It was just, I've never had the feeling uh, to such a degree where like the the bits of of Jedi Survivor that work are incredible. It is one of the best games of 2023 in the quality mode. The parts of the performance mode that work are still great. But the reason that it's on here is because it put me in such a specific headspace where I was like, I've spent the 70 pounds. I've trusted in this. I'm entering into the transaction that you're going to give me a working product. I can't get it refunded because I've got had it downloaded. I just want to play it. 
It's a, it's the sequel to one of the like most surprisingly you know fun Star Wars game. I barely care about Star Wars, but you made me care about Star Wars with Fallen Order. It's by Respawn, who I adore. They're one of the best devs in the in the game right now. And I just had to sit there going like, I just can't play it. I just can't use. I just wasted my money because you haven't optimized the basic graphics mode that you're saying is in the game. Do you and think now it's four months later and they've finally done it? Yeah, it's insulting. It's so insulting. I, I, I do. I knock her at any quarter at all. I can't disagree. But do you think this is kind of like your cyberpunk? You know, we kind enjoyed of- cyberpunk back in the day, but like I can totally understand that the reaction you've had to Jedi Survivor, mm. people obviously had to Cyberpunk at the time. Like oh, yeah, Completely yeah. saying, you know, yeah, when you get underneath all the issues, the game might be good, but this is inexcusable, mm-hmm. you know? we kind I of- just didn't believe Cyberpunk, like, <laughs> this is hilarious. This is such a video game industry statement yeah. to say, yes, that game crashed every 20 minutes, but at least it was playable. Like in was be- it? In between. We didn't have frame rate drops in Cyberpunk. Oh, we did. I mean, I did well, anyway. Some, but it yeah. was, I still found that to be more playable than Jedi Survivor. That's... Because there were bits of Jedi Survivor alongside the, the raw frame rate stuff where just menus wouldn't load. The whole wing of the game, the bounty system, just didn't load for me at all. Man, it's kind of like... I mean, I, I'm, it's like defending two hunks of trash at a certain <laughs> point. Two broken machines. Um, because my Cyberpunk experience, even though I enjoyed that game and cut it a lot of slack, mm. like I did Jedi Survivor, mm-hmm. was, was far worse. Like crashes every 30 minutes, <laughs> missions that would not load. I've still not done Johnny Silverhand's uh, final personal missions because oh, those really? would not load for me right, if okay. the game broke. Um, so, I'd, yeah. If we're Which, talking, whereas I got lucky and like I loved my time with Cyberpunk. Yeah. I totally acknowledge the, the failings in the marketing and everything, but what we got, I still absolutely loved. Yes. Um, but if you didn't, that's totally fair. And I think it's completely fair for in Jedi Survivor's case. Like there's a phenomenal game there if you just play the quality mode. Yeah. They've obviously passed it a lot anyway. Um, but yeah, like in terms of just like completely personal experiences, I hated, hated realizing that I couldn't just play it. Yeah. Just sitting there knowing I've wasted the money. It was such a stupid, paralyzing, like, you know, inertial headspace. I think it's interesting, like what you can kind of put up with when mm. you're really enjoying the game. Like I was the same with you for both of those games. Like Cyberpunk, I had a miserable time with it <laughs> in terms of the tech, but the characters and the world were so appealing that I, mm. I pushed through it and I managed to enjoy it even though I had all of these caveats. Whereas, you know, there have been some games where I have just gone, this is broken. There's mm. something about it that stops you being able to, like you said, just play it on a moment-to-moment basis. Mm. And it sounds like you absolutely got that well, for Jedi in a way that you didn't for Cyberpunk. Totally. And I think as well, in, in both these cases, but just from my point with Survivor, it's that consumer mindset of like, oh, I've been hard. Like, oh, okay, they've got my money. It doesn't work. I just need to wait. And because we don't know how long we're going to be waiting, and obviously online, you know, immediately they were putting the the um, apology.jpg thing out saying, oh, we recognize there's issues. We're going to fix it. I'm like, well, you knew that they were going to be there then. Like, it just, I just felt so hard. I felt yeah. so got. And people have that with various games. And it's not the first time either. It's just that I didn't expect it to happen with Respawn, and I didn't expect it to happen um, for this specific game. I just thought they had it down. And it was just, yeah, it was just that specific. It was like more of a consumer mentality thing, but it is twinned with, I just thought they would nail I was so looking forward to them absolutely nailing this, and they do when it works. Like, we mentioned this when we talked about it a few months ago, but I think a part of the issue that exacerbated things was that Fallen Order released with a lot of bugs as well. Right. And, you know, it was kind of taken for granted that they wouldn't do that again. Mm. They would spend their time to fix it, especially when you had some of the executives saying, like, we managed to get this game out in three and a half years. (laughs) And the response was like, 
Well, maybe you should have taken a few more yeah. months to make sure it was you fully optimized. You hit the publish optimized. button, but it's yeah. not finished. Yeah, you hit the publish button, but I don't know if we should be giving everyone a round of applause for that. Like, obviously, <laughs> it's great that they got the game out, but I'd always, and I'm sure you would as well, like, if Jedi Survivor was dropping now mm. with the performance mode fixed as it is, like, those conversations will be so much more rewarding totally. because now it's going to be remembered for these conversations. It's going to end up on these lists, even if that's the version of the game that, anyone buying it now won't get. And I think, that just I mean, sucks. Like, it tarnishes his legacy. True. And it's, 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 it's a shame. I think that as much as Survivor's thing isn't as big as, uh, scope-wise, as Cyberpunk or No Man's Sky, I think the fact that both of them have had their redemptions, like, does prove that on a long enough timeline, I, and it's one of those things, if I'm picking up a game that is notoriously broken, but I just get to pick it up and it works now, great. I do want to still play the, the working game. Yeah. It's just that if we're talking about, you know, individual... Uh, instances of disappointment and just kind of realizing that you're just stuck waiting for weeks on end, which became months, which whatever. And I still got through that game on the performance mode because ultimately I paid the money. I wasn't just going to sit there and waste my money. And I refused to wait for this exponential amount of time or or uh, unknown amount of time um, but it's just one of those things where you see them, like I said, last week they put another thing out in August, in, um, yeah, the other week, saying, oh, patch seven's coming, and we've managed to hit 60 FPS, FPS reliably, and I'm just like, this is so insulting. Mm. Obviously, I want you to fix it, yeah. but it's just like, there's no, it's just the reality of it. We, we bought broken games, and then you fix them. I'm sick of broken games. I'm, I'm so sick of broken games. Sick of broken games, games from great devs. <laughs> yeah, it's Just like Arcane well. did Redfall, and like yes. Respawn doing Jedi Survivor. Um, Redfall is beyond saving. That thing's not going to come back. You know what? Jedi Survivor is great. I think if I played Redfall, mm. and that would be on this list because that was, like you said, I'd probably have a, have a similar experience where it's a dev I trust. It's a dev whose mm. previous games I have loved. Mm. And then when you get something that is just not it, both <laughs> in terms of the creative di- direction and the tech mm. specs, it's like, what's going on here? Why is yeah. this dev um, that I love shifted in this direction? How are you doing this pro- to me? How they produce this? Yeah. Which is interesting because my next one, is actually Mass Effect Andromeda, my number four. Um, And this is a game that I had hyped up because whilst I know Mass Effect 3 has its reputation, at the time anyway, I wasn't one of those people incredibly disappointed by it. Mm. Like I knew that the ending could have been better. I knew that the ABC choices of how that game wraps up weren't all that good. But I'm kind of a sucker sometimes for that more mystical um version of sci-fi and okay. I thought the pivot into the Star Child stuff at the end like it reminded me of something like 2001 it was a right. direction I didn't expect to take and it was appealing to me I thought it was you know good enough to cap that game off mm-hmm. I've got more criticisms of it now but combined with the previous 10 hours 20 hours in all the choices you got to make there I thought it was a pretty good game like right, not okay. amazing but pretty good mm-hmm. Andromeda however I thought was going to be like a return to form in a way because mm-hmm. I knew that the response to Mass Effect 3's ending was vitriolic, and I thought, well, they can't do that again. They've got to put a a brave foot forward and give us a spin-off and a continuation of Mm. the franchise that is is big, that is new, that is original, and is of the quality of Mass Effect 1 and 2. Mm. And unfortunately, that did not happen. Mass Effect Andromeda was a disappointing game because it was so bland (laughs) and... The biggest issue I have with that spin-off is that we've gone to a whole new galaxy, mm-hmm. and it's the most boring thing Yeah, they got ever. floating rocks. You got floating That's rocks. That's all they've got. You got an ice planet. You got a desert planet. <laughs> you got the same species. Got a humanoid with you, a cat face. Yeah, that like you're used to, and the new species is like, you get like one, and they're just similar to something you've already experienced before. I thought the story was really bland. Mm-hmm. I thought the gunplay was solid enough. I, I did like the combat, yeah. Yeah, I managed to have like a decent enough time with it after the first 
10 hours or so mm. where I kind of got into that rhythm. But the first 10 hours of the game are some of the most sad gaming times I've ever had. Like, I thought about trading the game in. Right. I thought if I just, I, I thought, is the problem me? Am I not just dedicating enough time? Am I not mm. meeting it on its own terms mm. and appreciating what it's doing? Or is it doing something wrong? But those were... Those were an absolute slog, man. I don't know how you feel about Andromeda, but I, for me, it remains just this massive missed opportunity. I uh, remember thinking, like, when they showed it off, they showed it off at a weird thing. It was like at a um, like an LG TV event or something, and they showed it off as a way of showcasing HDR rather than anything else. And the only gameplay they had was a bit it was set inside one of the temples where you're unlocking one of the powers or something. He's like jumping, right? Yeah, it's just a jumping yeah. thing, and they just showed him landing on a few rock formations, and it was oh look how good the lighting is. And even then, I was like, it's 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 lighting. It's a dark room with a light in it like i you know me with art ray tracing I, I don't even know what you're showing me it's it's a light <laughs> whatever and so i was just like it's weird that they're not showing this and as the months went on and we lo- got to launch um it was always in the back of my mind that like they really should have shown something by now and i'll always remember that launch weekend where they let everyone do the early access and people accessed it on the friday um or the saturday but they got early access you could pay more for like a day one mm, thing mm-hmm. and the amount of gifts and broken footage and i don't know if you were in the office that day but i remember the office gathering on my computer laughing at everything oh no this is before was my that, time maybe i'll be 2017 maybe it was and um we were just oh my god it was just everyone sharing them obviously we i don't know we had skype or whatever maybe it was slack back then just sharing links oh my god you've got to see this oh my god there's another one look at that face look at the way that character's walking oh like, yes walking yeah. like homer simpson when he says he has rickets like just right. ridiculous <laughs> right. and just everyone sharing that my face is tired and all that those are that that wave of stuff just being like, yep, everything we thought about this game is completely broken, and you're in 2017 already, so you're coming off the likes of Watch Dogs and Destiny and Assassin's Creed Unity, and oh my god, they've done it to Mass Effect. Um, and it was just like, it was hilarious, it was tragic. I wasn't expecting anything, and I knew that the dev team wasn't the main Bioware dev team, because yeah. um, Drew Carpachin and the rest of them had left anyway. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. 
For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, What Culture Gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. I'll see you all soon. Um, But still, it was just... Uh, hilarious how broken that thing was. I still got it. Still Mass Effect. Still want to play it. Terrible. That's a good point. I mean, I've completely forgot. And how could I? Because <laughs> of all of the memes that it was that broken as well. That oh, like, God. yeah, like you said, the faces, the walks, the glitches, and the uh-huh. bugs that um, did not help the fact that the game itself was like Blanders unbuttered toast. It was just, <laughs> it was nothing. I had nothing to it. And it's, uh, I again, similarly, you know, I knew that it was a different team. Bioware, mm. Edmonton, no, not Edmonton, Montreal. I can't remember. One it's whatever the multiplayer team was for. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, for three. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And I, just, I still had hope because I was still in denial about Bioware. Mm. I was still in denial about EA and their handling of the studios that they bought previously, including Visceral Games. And mm. I just hoped against all hell that they could kind of pull it off. And then they kind of couldn't. And then we got Anthem. And <laughs> Anthem would be on this list if Andromeda hadn't... I didn't expect hadn't, anything That's from it. Anthem. If Andromeda hadn't set it up um, in the way it did, I think... Mm. Anthem would have been on here because, again, that was back to the quote-unquote main team. They were mm. describing it pre-release as, like, the best game they'd ever made. It was, again, going to be this mix of high-class storytelling with live service elements, and mm. it went about as well as Destiny 1 did. Just it didn't <laughs> get the redemption arc because EA cancelled Anthem 2.0. Ugh, I'm going to throw in a very personal one here, and my number three is The Bouncer, which, when I put this down, I mentioned that I was going to talk about The Bouncer, I don't think you'd heard of it. No, what is that? So The Bouncer was a game that was shown off the PlayStation 2 before launch. There was a whole bunch of highlight reels that did the rounds before the PS2 came out, just showing the power of the PlayStation 2. It was back when we first saw sniffs of Metal Gear Solid 2. Um, which were just, I mean, incredible. You can't, I love that era in gaming so much. Obviously, yeah. I do. I grew up with it. But it was eye-wideningly incredible. We're never going to get that big of a graphical leap again. And an industry is not going to, a gaming industry is not going to do that again. And so one of the games that was shown off was called The Bouncer. And it was right around when The Matrix was taken off. 360 camera angles, cool martial arts, etc. And it was Square Enix. So you had Final Fantasy-style character models mm. in, like, sort of leathery jackets and streetwear doing Matrix Kung Fu moves in an underground subway that looked gorgeous with slow motion attacks and everything and a bit where the character, I forget his name, Scion or something, and the main character looked a lot like Squall, uh, funnily enough, <laughs> Final Fantasy. 
and uh, but he did a move where he booted a dude and then it stopped and froze and did the 360. And me, being a Matrix fan, and for that period in, like I said, entertainment history or console history, gaming history, was like, oh my god, that looks incredible. Yeah. And there's all these different ways you can pick up parts of the scenery. You can throw a guy through a table. Never been done before. Well, here's the thing. Go this on. sounds amazing, yeah. but I imagine there's a big butt coming huge, as to why I've not ever heard of this no, game. No, the huge butt is that when you played the game, you couldn't interact with the scenery whatsoever. You couldn't do anything that was shown in the original teaser, even though that thing looked like it was in-game. Um, you could fight, but it was incredibly slow. Mm. I think they had, at some point, a wrong development, they had to do something with um, just the general game speed, because I don't think they, for whatever optimization reason, I, I don't know what the reality of why the bouncer turned out so badly is, but what was advertised as this really cool high energy, high octane, you know, environmental destruction, martial arts thing turned into just an arbitrary beat em up. It played a lot like Fighting Force on the PS1, um, which I love Fighting Force, but um, it was just one of those things where, like do basic combos. The uh, difficulty was quite high. There were random boss fights that would knock you back, big long checkpoints and everything. And it was just a slog. I have a soft spot for it to some degree because of when it launched. And yeah. I love that PS2 launch era. Um, but it, that the bouncer was like a shell of its advertised <laughs> oh, self. Like it was just one of those where the adver- adverts were, or the um, gameplay demos that were put out pre-release were nothing like what it actually was. Someone, like a target render kind of thing. Someone should pick it up, bring those target renders into like the modern era and give me that game. Because yeah. that game sounds excellent. You could easily do it now. You should watch the bouncer uh, reveal trailer, man. It's so cool. Like the, the, the build for it was so awesome. Like, it just oh, had everything and it didn't capitalize on any of it. The annoying thing is, I guess to you, not to me, but um, this sounds like the perfect game that I'm going to buy now for the PlayStation <laughs> 2. It's going to be my <laughs> Devil May Cry 2 all over again. I'm going to have to experience this. You should. You, you'll not finish it. It's just, I mean, I, I remember Kid Me finished. There's a few branching paths in it as well where you pick different um, exits to levels and you can trigger different things. Yeah. There's many be this big engaging story, but it's not. What a shame. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I remember getting it on Steam Deck because I was just like, uh, Steam Deck's perfect for the sort of stuff that you would never buy again. Yeah. But you just want to click on a few things and maybe access it somehow and so I went back to it that way and I was like yeah this is still terrible Yeah, this, uh, uh, still looks gorgeous but it's absolutely terrible what a shame man anyway anyway well not even anyway because I want to play it now I'm going to have to the wind up where I return I'll be like Scott I didn't get any help at all in fact <laughs> I played the bouncer it made things worse oh no <laughs> it's the one thing I didn't want to happen <laughs> no my number three is it my number three I no, my do number... believe it's your number three my number three um, from now on the remaining games are games that disappointed me greatly, but I still had a good time with. Okay oh, you've gone, you've gone in a different direction than me. Interesting. Yes. But the disappointment was felt more. I just mm. will say that they're not completely like right. They're not complete write-offs right, like okay. the other two that I thought uh, were. So this game is Resident Evil 3 Remake, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. honestly I still am not over. And I feel almost unjustified at this point in the hatred that I have for it because people... <laughs> It rightly so, are telling me, like, it's not that bad. And right. it isn't. If you just take it on its own as a game, it's a pretty was, solid... If it was DLC, survive. Loved it. If it was DLC, I'd have loved it. It's a pretty solid survival horror game. You know, it's very much coming off the successes of Resident Evil 2, same engine, a lot of repeated mm. environments and enemies and gameplay styles. It feels like DLC, but that's the problem to me because mm. I wanted them to do so much with Resident Evil 3 Remake. And maybe I got my imagination way out of control, but I don't think it was unjustified because of how many changes were made to 2 and mm-hmm. how robust that experience was and how satisfying it was as a remake, taking this original blueprint um, and, you know, completely blowing it up yeah. and redoing things and retooling things while maintaining the spirit was all game of the year? for an all-new audience. It mm-hmm. was uh, the outlet's um, game of the year. And I thought Resi 3 was so primed for a similar 
approach. Mm. I thought that game at the time, you know, I think it started as a spin-off and then became a full um, sequel. Apparently, yeah. And I thought with the technology we have now, with the stuff you've established in Resi 2, you could make a much bigger Raccoon City, make it way mm-hmm. more explorable, make it way more detailed, way more threatening. I was coming off the heels of The Evil Within 2 as well, which had these lush um, open world areas that had surprises lurking around every corner, and mm-hmm. it was in like this urban environment. I thought, well, if that game can do it, do that in Resi <laughs> 3, give the nemesis, one of the most iconic villains of all time, an upgraded version of the tyrants. The and original AI pursuer scripts, enemy. The original the pursuer enemy, but it kind of didn't do any of that. In fact, it streamlined a lot of stuff from the original. To me, it make, made the nemesis, although I appreciated the new design, mm. made him just like crap. <laughs> made him crap. <laughs> it made him like a set-pieced, set-piece-driven monster that didn't have the same threat level mm-hmm. that he had in the original game. And I again, it's another case of missed opportunity more than it being a bad game because it is mm. fine for what it is, but it could have been so much more. And I do, do, genuinely, I do genuinely think that mm. if it got the same treatment as Resi 4 and Resi 2, like, man, we'd be talking about it as if it was one of the best survival horror games of all time because yeah. those two, in my opinion, are, and it's a shame that this one has fallen down. It's true. I re- the one thing I remember sticking in my crawl when we played Resi 3's remake was the price. Yeah. It was £50 or 55 It was a premium thing, and it and it, like, it immediately felt like DLC. It was done in like an afternoon. Um, and I, but the thing is, like, like you said, there's so many great elements in there, which obviously only ever compounds disappointment, but it's like Jill's phenomenal. Jeez. I love playing as Jill in this. Like her, the attitude they gave her, just the way she carries herself, she's awesome. I really want to see more with that version of Jill. Um, but she's just in this like almost for throwaway, forgettable um, sort of quasi hint at a game that used to be a, a main installment. And I get that they repeated the whole, you know, original Resident Evil 3 on the PS1 was like, it was a similar dev turnaround. It was sort of made from the scraps of two kind of thing. And they went from there apparently, which resulted in like, you know, a lesser game, but three was still presented as the next main installment. It yeah. still felt like it. And Resi 3 was my first one that I went through um, as a kid. So like, yeah, for me, it was massively disappointing as well. But I just remember thinking of the money going like, oh my God, this is not worth 50 pounds. That's what incensed me at the time yeah. as well. Like it's it's very rare. I think that's the only time in the last few years where I've bought a game full price and been disappointed by the length. Mm. I mean, you know me, I don't mind if a game is short, like as long as it no. justifies that length and as long as it gives me a high quality experience, I don't mind. Mm. I think that's money well spent for me. That's just how I enjoy gaming, how I enjoy you're spending my money but Resi 3 when I finished it in like four and a half hours and I just paid 55 pounds for the night before and more importantly I didn't see any replay value Mm. because like I said Nemesis is way more set piece driven and he doesn't have that kind of free form um, nature of Mr. X in the original and there's not a second character split this time around Mm. I just was like oh I'm never gonna touch this again I've just spent all of this money four and a half hours of an okay experience Mm. What a shame. How are they getting away selling this for this price <laughs> when Resi 2 was like, what, 12 to 18 hours, depending on yeah. how slow it took you to get through or how much resistance you got? And I was like, this is DLC. It feels it like DLC. It really is. And it, it's so rushed. And then like the, the, they rush through the most iconic version of Nemesis to get you to the other versions and the mutations and everything. And it just, yeah, the whole thing felt rushed. It felt way too small for what it was. I get what they were doing. They got away with it for the most part. I do feel like Resi 3 Remake's reputation is does have that addendum of just saying, like, just let you know it's not worth full price um, or it's not to, not to be thought of as like a, a full installment like uh, 2 was. But yeah, overall, I'd forgot about how much that thing was just, oh God, I guess. Oh yeah, sure. We've just been 
getting hoodwinked again. Like yeah. that's just that's what happens. Felt like old Capcom, didn't it? You know? Oh yeah, sure. Before Capcom is back, wherever the rest of it. Uh, my number two, I'm gonna wound you again, is Ellie Noir. You are wounding me. Riddling my that body. That I should have expected it. I didn't. <laughs> Man, that hurts. <laughs> that really hurts. I uh yeah, just I remember hating Ellie Noir and uh, I bought it again when they remastered it because they said they changed the dialogue system and it's I I I hate Ellie Noir. I'm not gonna go on about it too much because um we did a video a while ago, I think I forget what it was. Maybe we did a chatty face on the most disappointed things. Yeah, we did. It was yeah. way back in 2017, 2018, and I talked about Ellie Noir and it was the first time you'd heard that. And Rich, uh, shout out to Rich Hudson, filmed your reaction yeah. and then we put it in the video. I wish I could remember what the phrasing was, but if you've been listening to us or with us for a while, you might remember it. Um, <laughs> because I just hate this game. It's just so never Cole Phelps never does what I want him to. I hate the interrogation mechanics. They're so, so undercooked. I hate the stupid noise that comes on when you've hit the wrong thing. No! Even though you're an investigator, you're having a conversation, why would there be a ding when you've got it wrong when you're just trying to figure things out? I hate the way the evidence system works where you could have multiple pieces of evidence that could prove the thing you're trying to get out of the person you're talking to, but oh no, the system wants this specific thing and it gives you the dung bad noise when you get it wrong. I just the, everything about the, how much Cole Phelps flies off the handle at people <sighs> when you're just, it doesn't make any sense. Then he calms back down again. It's just it's ridiculous. No! None of it works. And the fact that they they give you the option to skip the gameplay parts, which are terrible in themselves. And then you have all the Rockstar stuff that's bolted on because they took over development to finish it from Team Bondi, which apparently that development was an absolute fire. And then you have arbitrary open world stuff. Go solve these crimes. Just do an open world. I, I hate it, Ellie Noir. I'm deeply hurt, and this couldn't come at a worse time because just last night I was talking with a group of friends who all agreed that Ellie Noir was great and they should do a sequel ASAP. They were because wrong. the original, man, that's one of my favorite games. Ever. It absolutely is. I didn't put it in my top list, but it would be, if we were doing top 20 or top 30, right. it would be in like the extended version of that list because everything you just described... It's kind of why I love it. Not necessarily like the evidence system. I think that could be a little bit better. But for instance, you described Cole Phelps randomly going off the handle. Uh-huh. That's what I love about that game. Not in man. a way that feels intentional, though. In a way that feels like you just hit a button and triggered the wrong like box category of emotes. I think it's intentional, and I'll tell you why. I think Cole Phelps is a dick, and he's <laughs> intentionally a dick. Like there are some good. I think, oh, I can't remember who did it, but there's like some good video essays out there. Maybe another Noah Caldwell Gervais one who's mm. like describes. Cole Phelps is a great protagonist because he's like someone that you play as, but someone that you can't control. Like, he's a weird mm. guy. He has oh, all of his baggage. He's yeah. a scumbag in parts. Mm. And he even has this whole affair off screen that, like, you're not really privy to. You see him go in a house, you lose control, then you take control of him afterwards. <sighs> he's got this own private life. He's got this interiority that you can kind of guide in the same way that you can kind of like guide Arthur Morgan at Red Dead Redemption 2, but you don't have full control over it. And that's right. what makes them interesting to me because it raises a lot of questions, I think, intentionally. Like when he does fly off the handle and you think, where's that come from? Why is he doing that? What's motivated this kind of weird response? And some of them definitely are jarring, but generally I think it, for me, works and is why I like it. So. That's good. That's good. That that's an inc- To me, that's an incredibly charitable reading of what I would say <laughs> is largely broken game design, but I do love that that's there. That does work. Um, it definitely like could apply or whatever. But yeah, to me, like those different ways that you could pick those responses never lined up and he might freak out and then be really calm and then be really calm for the rest of the thing. So it's like if that idea was that he was 
unhinged or something. It doesn't play through. It just felt disconnected entirely. Um, but yeah, and then it was just by the time at the end of the game, again, I'm not going to do full spoilers, but the way that game goes, I lo- I just said F you out loud <laughs> to the thing that they do because um, I was just like, oh my God, F this. Um, so yeah, I just always thought that game was an absolute mess. Hugely ambitious. Uh, the facial capture tech is incredible and I do recommend people go check out the history of what happened at Team Bondi. Uh, I'm blanking on the dude's name. It's something McNamara um, was the creative director. Apparently he was like a tyrant because mm. um, he was like determined to push the staff and to reach for this level of uh, facial animation that was unprecedented. And it's still unprecedented to this day for the most part. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the making of that game is fascinating. Everything about the game is fascinating, but I hated interacting with it. <sighs> I might play it again tonight. Please do. Maybe I'll go get the remaster. <laughs> I've always wanted to do the VR missions. Have you ever seen those? Yeah, oh yeah, they yeah. seem fun. Well, the thing is, though, I I should love it. I love <laughs> LA Confidential, like, solid movie. I love the era that it's set in. Yeah. It's Rockstar polishing it off. I love the ambition for it. But I remember when they re-released it, they did a version on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One and yeah. Switch as well. And they were like, oh, we fixed the dialogue system. And all they did was give, because um, I forget what the original buttons are. It's like, it's like they just changed truth, it, doubt, they? something. Yeah. And they just made it something else, like aggressive, whatever. And it's like, but it's still disjointed AF. It still doesn't make any sense. And those markers, it was like, it was a like good cop, bad cop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's yeah, three yeah. versions of those labeling systems over the years. Yeah, it's like good cop, bad cop, and accuse. Accuse. Yeah. And then accuse just became like the fly off the handle one. But then some of them, you don't actually accuse them. You just like say something about like, um, Whatever, do you know more about this as opposed to like accusing it? Yeah, I just, oh my God. The run up to that game, what they showed off, the build, Rockstar taking over, and then what we got, nah. You know what? I definitely get it. It absolutely is (laughs) flawed. But hilariously, you know, everything you just described there as it being a game you should have loved, you love the era, you love the idea Mm. of it. That's my next game, which is Assassin's Creed 3. Shout. This thing. I was so looking forward to because I was in my Assassin's Creed era, you know, coming off 2 and Brotherhood, which I absolutely loved, Mm. Revelations, which I didn't like as much, but it didn't matter because I was finally getting the next numbered installment. It Mm. was going to round off the trilogy. It seemed like it had interesting characters. It certainly had an interesting setting. It looked positively gorgeous. I still think it does to this day, but the story completely broke it for me. Like, the extended opening sequence, the lethargic pace of it, even the missions that you got, to me, weren't all that exciting. Mm -hmm. And it led me to this weird place with it where I was massively disappointed by it, and I was not having fun for the vast majority of its runtime. But when I was just, like exploring the open world, and when I was doing side missions or even activities, I found a nice flow with it, but that is like 10% of an entire massive game, and that's what makes me so disappointed, because there's something in there that I really do love, but it's attached to this thing I really don't like, and I think that's kind of just how Assassin's Creed has gone for me since then, to be honest. It's the same with Odyssey, it's the same with Valhalla, where you have things in there I adore, Mm. It's just grafted onto this massive behemoth that has all of these other elements that I don't like or are well, disappointing. Three is is the pivot point. Three is the one that Patrice Tesley was only. Uh, I think I think he wasn't. Three was the first one he wasn't involved in, but they still had his uh, notes, like the creator of Assassin's Creed or one of the creators of Assassin's Creed, because he started like leaving Ubisoft across the Ezio trilogy. I'm sure three was the first one that he wasn't involved in at all, but he might still be credited with. Um, but yeah, I remember the same thing. The opening with Haytham Kenway took way too long. I do love the um, How'd You Like Them Apples t- achievement, the flip that you've actually been playing as a Templar the whole yes, time. Yes, yes. I love that in the moment, but it took way too long to get there. Um, I love playing as Connor. I hated all the homestead stuff. Didn't mean anything. It was like just build a homestead for no reason. Forgot about that, yeah. Yeah, just, just in there for no reason. Um, ship combat, I thought, was terrible in that game because it was just like, it was a nice idea, but it was pointless. Great and point. You, could do you know what? 
Yeah, I'm looking at you with intent here yeah. because you've just unlocked something in yeah, my yeah, brain yeah. there, kind of how I unlocked something about Destiny's Because they, they just put things in that game. It was just, well, I guess we have a homestead system. I guess we have a ship combat system. We kind of have a story. We have this prequel dude that we're doing stuff with, Haytham Kenway. Um, and we also need to wrap up the overall thing, but also leave a few seeds open for the future of Assassin's Creed because now the creator's gone. We can milk the living hell out of it. Yeah. It was just, it was all over the place. However, like you said, there are parts of that game that are fascinating. I actually really liked the combat. To that point, I'd accepted how simplified it was, and I liked that you could do group finishes. Um, Connor's like ruthless and um, with the axe it was one of those things where I never got rid of the tomahawk because yeah. I love him having the tomahawk and I love that you could have a take a human shield if a ranged character is about to shoot you and you, they take the bullet and then you run after them and bury the tomahawk again those moments were great um, but they're buried in an oil of a game Absolutely. I, I bought the remaster it was one of those things where they um, they talked about how much they'd overhauled for the remaster um, changing the map the UI changing the draw distance um, you know they're just refining a lot of it it was actually one of the most I guess for Ubisoft standards one of the most impressive uh, touch ups that they've done so I bought it again because I just wanted to run around as Connor then I opened it I had to play Hatham Kenway again <laughs> and I was like oh my god I'm not going to do 10 hours of this so I shut it again but Someday. I've always been tempted myself to get that remaster mm. every single time I look at the store and think, is today the day? And today is never the day. <laughs> never but the I day. do want to do exactly what you just described, and that's run around this open world. Like, the, being in, like, the snowy sort of mountains and mm. running from tree to tree while you're hunting down these animals or whatever, like, that's the part of the game that I really love. And I can't believe that I completely forgot the naval stuff because that is also something, perhaps controversially, because I know a lot of people really love it, mm. that has never grabbed me in any Assassin's Creed game. It's no. why I've not played the fan favorite, Black Flag, because that seems You've so... never played Black Flag? I've never played Black Flag. What? <laughs> How am I finding this out now? I'll tell you why I've never played it. It's been for 10 years. It's not... I've, met, I've definitely mentioned it before. You probably have. Um, it's, it's not Black Flag's fault, necessarily. It's a knock-on effect from 3. I was so disappointed in 3, mm. and Revelations to a certain extent, that I just thought, I'm done with this franchise for a bit. I'm I remember back. thinking the same thing and then yeah. when Black Flag reviewed really well and everyone said, oh, it's, it's, it's back. I was like, I'm going to have to see what this is. Well, I still, that's another one that I kind of want to go back to because I had the same response of, do I want to play this game? But then again, when I noticed it was focusing so much on that naval element mm. that I didn't like in 3, I thought, well, it might be reviewing well, but personal preference, that wasn't for me, so I don't know right. if this will be for me anyway. I've always, you know, not that I hate that game or anything, mm. I've always wanted to re-experience it, but it just seemed like it It had everything going against it for me personally at the Black time. Black Flag is fascinating because they had no idea where to go when I mentioned the Patrice Tesla left. You know the whole framing thing in the first person. Yeah. You work for Ubisoft, you work for Abstergo yeah. inside the game. Like, that was incredible as a, as a framing idea. Um, but they had no idea how to conclude that and they couldn't go anywhere with it and they wrote themselves into a corner and it was a whole thing. But at the time, yeah, that game still plays really well. The naval stuff, like you said, I agree with you. It's not why I go there, but they, it works way better in Black Flag than it did in 3 mm. just because it actually is a full system. Um, Edward Kenway is one of the best protagonists they've ever had. Yeah. Like, every, nearly everything about Black Flag is incredible. Well, um, Black Flag was the hearing. return. It's yeah. just that it's like, it's the weird, when you look back on it, it's such an incredible one-off thing. I'm trying to put myself in the headspace at the time. There was the disappointment in the previous two games. It was mm. the naval warfare. And I, honestly, I don't have this now, but I had a chip on my shoulder back then right. of it even being called Assassin's Creed 4 because I thought yeah, in yeah, my head, same. you've took the time to make one and then two and you've had games in between. But then in my head, I was like, to rush out four a mm. year after Assassin's Creed 3, I thought, you don't know what you're doing with this franchise. Something's True. gone wrong there. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, it's not Black Flag itself's fault. It's just the, the framing and the context it was releasing at well, the I thought time. Thing, I thought what you were going to say was because it was a, a pirate as a main character and not someone who, like Ezio or Altair, right. who was like trained kind of thing, that that was what was betraying the IP. Because I remember those conversations. At the, I keep saying those. Remember those <laughs> 
conversations <laughs> as well. Um, because Edward Kenway, the whole but the whole point of Edward Kenway is that he is just a pirate with yeah. his twin blunderbusses, and he finds assassins. He, he kills an assassin at the start and steals his gear, and then goes along to the training, pretending he's an assassin. Phenomenal setup for a game. It absolutely is. But it, it again, like with it just slapping the four on it, it made me yeah. realize that where the franchise was going forward was this just kind of they're not gimmicks they are more than that but it was like every year is just going to have a gimmick and oh yeah it's just going to yeah, have a yeah, slightly yeah. different it's going to give you a slightly different flavor of what you've already got you're mm. going to get the pirate one you're going to get the uh the victorian, victorian one. london victorian one. one absolutely you're going to get the french revolution one i think <laughs> it was um and then that's all we're going to give you it's going to have it's not going to have the same feeling of it being an event that i no. thought assassin's creed one two and three did whilst having these different flavors in between oh, and dude, kind totally. of, that's like funny when you mentioned Last of Us earlier, that was, you know, me kind of divorcing myself from Assassin's Creed after that. And I just mm. thought, you're probably going to do some good stuff, but I'm kind of off this ride and I might jump back on here and there like mm. I have. But ultimately, you're going in a direction that is is not what I want personally. No, same. It was like, I, I loved and still love that initial run of Assassin's Creed games. when you I loved all the future stuff, all the, all the present day stuff um, with Subject 16 and everything else. And then Black Flag was the last one they did on that timeline yeah. until they brought Desmond back away later. But you do an autopsy on his body in Black Flag oh, to dear. try and like pretend that there's more going on. They just jigsaw it and saw. It's like, <laughs> oh, he's dead, but actually there's more secrets. Yeah. And it's like, what else can we do? Uh, my number one, and I went to a blanket thing for this, is the new PlayStation direction. You're killing and me. I know, I'm killing me. Um, the live services, the the mobile stuff, the remaking Horizon and The Last of Us, and just everything about new age PlayStation, largely the Jim Ryan era, mm-hmm. and all the games that that's affecting. The uh, the safety, I mentioned the bow and arrow characters earlier, I think might have been a different... We've recorded things in this room for too long. Yeah, we did have. we talk about God of War in this recording? I think that was the last That was the last we thing we did. I hate the influx of bow and arrow characters on PlayStation. Every PlayStation protagonist is a bow and arrow character. Um, you know, Jin, Aloy, Ellie, um, Atreus, they're all the same character. And, uh, and I just, it's one of those things where God of War Ragnarok and Horizon Forbidden West were boring sequels to me. Mm-hmm. I'm being enti- Obviously, I'm being entirely subjective. Very, very boring sequels. The best things about God of War Ragnarok were the thematics and the writing. It wasn't the gameplay. And for me, it certainly wasn't playing as a trace. And uh, in Horizon's case, it was just more Horizon. And I get that it makes money. I get that you're at a certain level where that's the safe bet. That's, maybe that makes all the sense in the world, but it is boring AF. And, uh, and now you've got a, a company that is committing to live services, mobile games, remakes of stuff that doesn't need to be remade. And then, you know, just not putting their money in what I would say the right places are, overcharging for the new PlayStation Portable, um, or Portal as it's called, and the handheld device. And then buying in the, the PlayStation Plus increases on the services. Yeah. I see a Sony that we all hated in the mid-2000s when they got way too big for their boots after the PlayStation 2 and after the PlayStation 4. Now that we're here, I think they're doing it again. Mm. And the scale is bigger. The uh, risks are minimized. Everything is smooth over and I don't need them to take every risk under the sun but the PlayStation 4 run was incredible and they had such a variety of first party titles um, you know with even a first person who would have thought a first person shooter in there they opened with one kills on Shadow 4 they didn't do much with it but um, it's one of those things where they need to get back to that they need to remember how they got there and it ha- it's cyclical it, ha- it happened before I think yeah. it's happening again and I just I see a, a boredom a, syn- a, a, a synthetic nature to the production and, uh, and I hate it I hate it in all corporate ways of life and I see it here. Now you know what? I get it. I do. I Bosh. really do. I'm not where you are right now. I'm not in crisis mode as of yet. No, not I, necessarily crisis mode. I can see a future where they 
the trajectory they're on only increases and we do get to this era where everything is safe, everything is mm. iterative. You know, I really liked Horizon Forbidden West. I really loved God of War Ragnarok, mm. but I can't disagree with what you've how you've described them there. <laughs> they were these iterative sequels. They were more of the same in many respects. Mm. And if the next Horizon just plays like Zero Dawn and Forbidden West and is another iterative sequel, I'll be right with you mm. because the amount of time these games take for something that safe, to me, that's not interesting. If yeah. the next God of War is using the exact same framework and we're not getting another overhaul of the uh, combat system, I'll probably be right there with you. For like now... In, just, to tr- yeah. just to quickly addendum that, in Ragnarok, when you finally get the spear, I was like, oh, finally the sequel's here. Right. Like, we're actually doing something different. Like, that was stuff like that where you need that meaningful component that feels fresh. Yeah, no, you absolutely do. You need... You need again, I know you disliked it for other reasons Mm. because we've just talked about it, but Jedi Survivor, to me, took the base of what Fallen Order uh, brought to the table and just expanded it Mm. in a massive way. That was a proper sequel that felt natural. You know, Mm. you can look at them side by side and see the connections. You can see the mechanics that they've brought over, but it felt, to me, like such a massive overhaul. It Mm. felt like such a massive refinement, and I want to see if Sony is going to take this route with sequels Give it that, you know, yeah, give it yeah. that sort of sense of injection, the sense that we're not just adding things on, we're refining, we're mm-hmm. evolving these um, mechanics in really meaningful and satisfying ways to raise the bar, not just add more bars, which mm-hmm. I think is an issue with sequels across the board. And <laughs> funnily enough, Assassin's Creed just adding more bars rather than doing True. one thing it's and thing. making it as good as it can be. Yeah, and it's, I get, I get the, the hypocrisy because I love Nintendo and they do like five things really well. Uh, in terms of genres, like it's uh, I, the new Mario, it's a it's a two D Mario. There'll be a there'll be a gimmick. It's uh, apparently it's getting high off your face in Super <laughs> Mario Wonder. That's the thing. But there's a way to do them really well, and there's a way to keep those sequels exciting. And it's it's just one of those things where Sony love to look at an established business model and do their own take on it. Yeah. And as they've got to this size, them investing in PlayStation Studios, them you know investing in game formulas, ostensibly to me making everything The Last of Us. Like that's now their first party style, which like you know like you can argue that like old like Naughty Dog did that before. Like if it wasn't for Crash Bandicoot, you wouldn't have that whole run of other third person platformers. Um, and so it's just that thing where I'm like they always look at the thing that. that they happen upon and then steer the F into that. And I just, yeah, I just, I, I don't fear for the future or anything, but it's, it's just a boring yeah. first part. One of the, for a, uh, one of the, two, the twin market leaders, um, you know, them and Nintendo have the majority share. Um, it's just a boring way to go about things. And so it makes all the sense in the world, but it's boring. I think like you said as well, you know, you, you only have to look at why the PS4 was such a success. And to me, that's because of the new IPs that you introduced. Like people yes. went mad for Zero Dawn. People went absolutely crazy for Ghost of Tsushima. Totally. And people even like what Sony considers to be failures, things like Days Gone or The Order 1886 yeah. now still has like some strong defenders. Concrete Genie all up in my Concrete face. Concrete Genie. You had like, you said you got first person shooters you got open world games you got superhero games mm-hmm. you've got all of this variation and now it feels like that's established and that's locked down and we'll be doing sequels to them sure but to me to keep that momentum you've got to keep innovating you've mm-hmm. got to allow these studios to try something different you've mm-hmm. got to bring in new talent to give us new ips and new ips more importantly that aren't just 
reskin versions of other IPs, <laughs> like, you know, another extraction shooter or, or, a, or a live service game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Doing a Splatoon, you know what I mean? Giving uh. us what is technically new because it's not part of a franchise, but what is familiar because they're just relying on gameplay systems that are, you know, trendy and yeah. mainstream and used in every other studio across the world. Totally. It's it's Ubisoft's approach, yeah. and they've they ran that into the ground. Like, we know how this goes, and uh, maybe it's just because I've been doing this at Walk Culture at least for 10 years, um, but you notice these things, you really do, and uh, you just kind of hope that there's enough people at the top end of Sony that do greenlight the right stuff on yeah. a longer timeline, because when the things that come out, like I said, are leaks of 2017's Horizon, um, or doing a PlayStation 5 version of The Last of Us 2, or whatever it is, um, I just want something that makes me go, I can't wait to play that because I've mm. never played it before. Yes. As opposed to it's a higher frame rate version of something I played five years ago. I get it, man. I do. So where am I? I I'm an old man. It. I've got one more for you to wrap Please this do. up. My number one most disappointing game of all time is EA's Star Wars Battlefront 1. Now, <laughs> yeah, yeah, God, yeah. I know people might throw on Battlefront 2 because it did make bigger mistakes, like the obviously the issues with its microtransactions mm-hmm. and its pay-to-win mechanics pretty much started a conversation that is still kind of ongoing today. It mm-hmm. changed the game for both good and bad reasons. It was the breaking point for many people throwing up their hands and just saying, you can't keep getting away with this. Things <laughs> need to change, and change they did. But mm-hmm. on a personal level... Star Wars Battlefront 2's combat was still really good. In like the oh, yeah. level design was really good. And when that game fixed those issues, it was amazing. I can't say the same about Star Wars Battlefront 1, which perhaps because I you know, it had no predecessors. Obviously it had the older games, but this was a new publisher, it was a new developer. I managed to get my imagination running wild because it was Devi- it was DICE who made um, Battlefield, so I assumed that it was going to get, I was going to get the quality of the Battlefield games, the mm. verticality of the Battlefield games, the in-depth classes and gameplay systems of the Battlefield series in a Star Wars universe. Yes. And it was not that. Battlefront 2, Battlefront 1, sorry, was a way more casual experience. It was a way flatter experience, I thought, and it was just, it felt a bit too dumbed down. It felt way too bare bones, mm. considering it didn't have a campaign. It was like four it, weapons or something? It, it was like it was four weapons. Little. They all handled very similar. There was very little customization to speak of. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget the disappointment I felt booting it up for the first time. I was at university. I was living in uh, a flat in Newcastle, and mm. my friend who Chrissy's called, who was similarly buzzing for this game to come out, (laughs) uh, was stopping around mine. We both pre-ordered it from game. So as soon as midnight hit, we went into town, picked up our copies, got some chips on the way home. Yeah, you did. Cheesy chips on the way home, (laughs) and uh, whacked a copy of Battlefront into the PlayStation. And we thought, champion, we'll play this till the early hours. That's great. It pained us one, that, you know, we had to wait an hour for the install time, yeah. and then we had to wait even longer and continually... Can you, can you remember this? You had to, like, play as Darth Vader for a bit until the game installed. And it God, was like, no, but, like, I, I would, should have played, remembered that. It was yeah. just while the game was installing, you know, did the thing where it was like, it's ready to play, but you actually can't right. touch any of the main things. You just oh, I think as, I just installed it anyway. Right. Yeah, I don't think I did that. You played as Darth Vader, uh, and you just kind of killed st- Stormtroopers until it was finished. So that took ages. It's like half two in the morning with... Chips have gone cold by Empty now. Empty chip packets. The game's finally installed, and I was looking at the settings, I was looking at the options available, and thinking, this is bare bones. I was looked at the uh, different skins you could get, mm. swapping between the Stormtroopers, thinking, 
I don't, I can't even tell the difference between one and the other. And then we finally got into a game. And when I realized it didn't play anywhere near to the quality, in my opinion, of Battlefield, I just had to accept that they <laughs> messed it up. They they took a direction that I wasn't expecting, uh-huh. and this was not the Battlefront experience that I think it needed to be at the time. Oh, dude, it's it's a, a fraction of what Pandemic achieved with Absolutely. the originals, like the original Battlefront one, two, three. Uh, sorry, one and two. It's because three leaked or whatever. Um. Bearing, they the scale of them. I know they try to carry it across with Lord of the Rings Conquest, and I, it didn't work for me with that. Um, it didn't feel like it should be that. But those those first two Battlefronts on the original Xbox, at least for me, with Xbox Live, that you, that's a bar. They, yeah. they were no, EA were nowhere near. You know, all I was expecting was that in first person. Mm. You know, proper dedicated first person combat. And if they manage, if they did that, I think. Well, I think the franchise would still be around today, <laughs> um, and I think we'd still be talking about it. Because for as good as Battlefront 2 was, I think the combination of Battlefront 1's kind of tepid response followed by 2's disastrous launch, even though it did kind of pull it back, just that one-two punch just sort of killed this franchise dead before it even got a chance to start. And it was indicative, I think, of EA being like, well, we've got this license. Mm -hmm. It's an excuse to print money. Oh, totally. Kind of like how Square Enix approached the Avengers where it was like, well, we've got the Marvel license, biggest license in the world. Let's just do bare minimum. Or Disney with Star Wars. Disney with Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, Roll exactly, it out, yeah. like just only see green, uh, try to make as much money as possible. Yeah, because I'm sure on EA's in EA's case, I'm sure that 10 year deal was uh, inked in 2013, yeah. and Battlefront was 2015. Yeah. So you can tell that was a two year turnaround. Um, I like the Walker Assault, even though it was mostly broken. It was just the scale of it. But um, but yeah, overall, um, man, I forgot how much I. Battlefront One is like Destiny One, yes. where it's it's just forgotten now because yeah. Two was became the talking point. Um, but anyway, those have been our most disappointing games of all time, L.A. Noir. No. Can't believe it. And um, but all, thank you very much for listening. This has been the wind up. I've been Scott Tilford. That's been Josh Brown. Always a pleasure, Scott Tilford. Always a pleasure to be heard by all of you. And I do want to take the time to just quickly say that I'm very proud of Josh Brown. I do thank genuinely you. want to just say because it is worth acknowledging as. Quite a lot of us have been through like mental health issues and everything in general. Acknowledging it is genuinely one of the biggest first steps you can take. And I'm proud of you. I'm proud of anyone who takes that first step. Love you. Love you all. And we'll catch you very soon. Absolutely. See you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.